0: to I'm the mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, and now, including Amazing Fantasy number 15. Is there anything left to count,
1: Dan? I mean, you can count and argue with me if you want. Go for it. You know, Mark, I'm the dapper Dan Gavazin. I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man. I don't own Amazing Fantasy 15. It's still a fantasy to me, but I did own the annuals first and I will still continue to argue that they count. So call me pedantic if you want, but the annuals count and that amazing fantasy 15 is just a nice little badge in a separate collection.
0: You can you can cry into your annuals about it, Dan. I, I am I am I will I will let you have this fight, okay? You just you just keep you just keep
1: scratching and clawing for it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I will. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for the sixth episode of season six of the amazing spider talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider Man comic universe. If you want to
0: swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present and future, which I can do by going into my comic book closet, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. I will
1: never know how Spider-Man got his power set, but this podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork and keep our podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon.
0: Every episode of this season features artwork by comic artist Nick Cagnetti and is available to our Patreon members unlettered and in stunning high resolution.
1: In this season of The Amazing Spider Talk, we're going back to the mid-80s when the Amazing Spider-Man title was handed over to one of the most legendary creative pairings in comics who were just starting a creative partnership. That's none other than Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. It was a time of immense change in the comics industry, but together, Tom and Ron returned Spider-Man to its Ditko-inspired roots to create one of the most beloved runs on the title.
0: Yes, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about Spider-Man's first official alternate costume. No, we're not talking about What If, number one, where he wore a Fantastic Five outfit, or the time when he was in Germany, where Spider-Man stole a fake costume out of a store, So stop typing that angry email about how wrong we are. We know who you are who's typing that angry email. No, we are instead talking about Spider-Man's black costume, the single most audacious and yet beloved upgrade to a classic superhero costume of all time. Love it, hate it, whatever. The black suit and Spider-Man are like peanut butter and jelly Or chocolate and peanut butter or whatever. It's just the blackberry kind of it. Whatever. Although that I guess there's no blackberry peanut butter. Whatever. Just go with it. Peanut butter and jelly. Blackberry jelly. Spider-Man's black costume. Cut me off, Dan.
1: Yes, Mark, that's right. But let's be clear, we're talking about the costume itself and not the full details of the stories it has appeared in. For that, I recommend checking out our Essentials, episode number twenty-seven where Mark and I discuss Amazing Spider-Man number 252, the, technically the first appearance of the black suit, a story called Homecoming, and we get into our thoughts on all of that stuff. Plus, in our interviews with Ron Friends and Tom DeFalco, all the way back in our Superior Spider-Talk days, which you can find in our Back Issues feed, that has all of our discussions with them about the stories they created involving the black suit. Plus, we discussed the introduction of the black suit in the pages of Secret Wars in Season 5, Episode 10 of our show. And we're going to also today discuss some of the adaptations of the black suit introductory arc. So for that, I'd recommend checking out my interviews with John Semper Jr. about the Spider-Man The Animated Series show where we discuss how that adapted this story. But yes, we're going to be specifically talking, again, about some of the details in these stories. We're not going to be... Summarizing them We're really just talking about the costume But if you really want to read and know the full context Check out Marvel Superhero Secret Wars number 8 And Amazing Spider-Man numbers 252 to 258 Which are largely considered the introductory stories Of the Spider-Man black suit So Mark, people have seen the movies They've seen a black suit They've seen the TV show They've seen a black suit If they're anticipating the new Marvel's Spider-Man 2 video game, they've seen the black suit. If you've opened any Spider-Man comic in the 90s and late 80s, you probably saw the black suit. It's a big part of Spider-Man's legacy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of this costume? I do want to
0: note, like, you know, just from your intro, just the sheer number of times that we've talked about the the black suit and the stories around it, it, it just kind of gives credence to the idea of, just how impactful this 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 little costume ended up being, but but we're gonna talk about it one more time because we love the black suit. You know, I, I, this came up in our 400th episode during our trivia contest with Tristan, where he was he actually asked us about this, and you know I wish I wish we had recorded this first because the, the information would have been uh, fresher in my mind, Dan. But uh, but alas, but. Where did the black suit come from? And, and um, this actually came from our conversation with uh, Tom DeFalco back in 2013, so 10 years ago. In the early 1980s, there was a fan, Randy Schuler, who uh, submitted an idea for a new black costume that was to be created by Reed Richards. It was going to be made from the same unstable molecules as the Fantastic Four costume, except, you know, this was going to let Spider-Man do things better bigger and better, like he was going to be able to stick to walls 25 percent better or something like that like even even when Schuler tells the story he doesn't have the exact details and DeFalco when we interviewed him he was just kind of like I don't know he like could like climb faster or something or jump higher you know I'm doing my best DeFalco imitation there my my uh, but either way this was this black suit was going to be something bigger and better he was going to be able to control the webbing with his mind a la like the Iron Man Iron Spider thing that we got later on Jim Shooter the editor-in-chief of Marvel he liked it he paid 220 bucks for it he, then he also offered Schuler an opportunity to write the script Tom DeFalco who was the spider book editor at the time he worked with with Schuler, but they they really couldn't find something that clicked I mean it just sounds like they, they really couldn't get a story to work in in real comic book terms
1: the funny thing about it is like you can you know in terms of like a historian's account of this you know Almost every version of the story is accounted for, or every documentation of it is accounted for, except for the initial pitch. Like you can read and find a scan of the letter that Jim Shooter sent to Randy, you know, offering to pay him for the idea. And you know, eventually, Schuler submitted two drafts or outlines of a story that he wanted to write, which was eventually published in sensational spider-man self-improvement number one crazy title which was this crazy b title book that was released in 2019 with like no fanfare in fact i i think you didn't pick it up at the time have you since picked it up i have
0: not i have not so you can you can lord that over me if you wish i'm not going to
1: because it's really obscure but i do recommend everybody check it out if you like the history of the black suit and it's also got a great Tom Defalco Ron Friends backup story in it that I would say is one of their best creative pairings in like 11 pages. They actually print uh, Randy Schuler's you know two drafts in that book and then they brought on Peter David and Rick Leonardi to adapt uh, Randy's work and I believe that on our show Ron Friend said he was originally offered that but turned it down. I might be getting the specifics of that incorrect, but it's funny because even then, even with those two drafts and the, the, the challenge of specifically adapting Randy's original, you know, submission, Peter David, I think still didn't like it. It completely changed the idea yet again, but you know, you can go and read those, you know, in that comic, uh, which again is called sensational Spider-Man self-improvement. It's a great comic. Just to give you a summary of like the changes there, a lot of it is what Mark described, like he's a little bit stronger, he's a little bit faster, you know, the kind of thing that comic nerds would look on the back of like, like a trading card from the 90s and be like, he's got a power set of 7 out of 10, but now he's got a 9 out of 10. But, but in this, it's like Janet Van Dyne Along with the Fantastic Four That provide the suit to Spider-Man You know, Reed Richards obviously uh, You know, providing the tech element That you described The faster, better, stronger, billion dollar man And the unstable molecules But it was like Janet Van Dyne's costume I, I You know, sensibilities and, and, and design That made it black And I, I think Randy Shuler's like uh, Reasoning behind that was Oh, well, Janet showed up like every other issue in Avengers in a new costume. So, of course, she would be the one redesigning it. And it's quite a different design. It has like a big red spider on the chest instead of the iconic white one. And Randy wanted the web pits to come back, which is funny because like the one in the new upcoming video game, it still has the white spider, but it's got the web pits. So it's somewhere in between Randy's design and the final design. And, you know, you can can see the iterations of that design evolve over the years. Tell us a little bit about where it went to next after it got into Marvel's hands.
0: Well, right. So, I mean, obviously, until 2019, the script wasn't going to go anywhere. About a year later, in, in like 84, Marvel was starting to develop its first big event, Secret Wars, to coincide with an action figure line. I mean, Jim Shooter denies that it's a toy book, but it's let's, can we, let's be real here. It's a toy book, okay? <laughs> the Jim uh, Shooter mean, denies
1: know, a lot of things, Mark.
0: I, I mean, you know, like, it's, it's a toy book, okay, guys? You know, like, anyway. But they wanted something really interesting for spider-man you know to sell more action figures so he was like let's 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 get back the new suit so he wanted to basically kick around the black costume idea again without randy Schuler's involvement so he he sent it over to mike zack and rick leonardi to work up a new draft and thus the the black suit as we know it was was created and, and i'm trying to remember dan did leonardi talk about this a little bit in your interview with him um, a couple of years ago or did that did we did we say that for thinking maybe he'd come on for this episode
1: (laughs) yeah I mean just just to be honest we were trying to get Rick on this episode and he agreed to do it and things kind of it took a long time to pull it together and in the meantime we were like well I I think we've covered this and we don't want to spend Rick's time because he's always been generous with us and he also downplayed in in emails with us his role in the design you know I think he's uh, said that you know he just broke up the legs a little bit differently and expanded the length of them around the suit, whereas like Mike Zek really was the chief champion of of the design of the costume. And you can look up design, uh, you know, early designs where it still has the red spider on the you know page design. So you know, I think Rick made some minor tweaks, but he wouldn't credit himself as the designer of the suit and. He deserves whatever credit he earned, which, you know, is mentioned here. But I think it's honorable for him to really lay the, you know, the full design at Mike Zek's feet. If he really feels like Mike contributed the most to it.
0: So stop me if you've heard this one before, Dan. So, you know, we have a design costume and and, and Marvel is ready. Stop,
1: stop, stop.
0: Marvel is ready to unveil this new costume. But but wait. Here, here's, here's the shocking part, Dan. Fans, even in the era before social media, they caught wind of this new costume and they allegedly hated it. They were like, no, you must change it back. To whatever it was, like Spider Man was always married, and he's always in red and blue. No, I don't. (laughs) Basically, and this is this is per per the our interview with our first interview ever with Tom DeFalco. Jim Shooter basically went to Tom and was like, "All right, we gotta nix the black suit." And DeFalco's like. It's in Secret Wars 8, so the way they wanted to introduce it is they were going to introduce it first in Amazing Spider-Man 252, which was going to release about, what, about six to eight months before Secret Wars 8? You know, it was all, like, supposed to coincide, and, you know, Secret Wars 8 was where he was supposed to get the costume. so DeFalco was like, I got to at least write, you know, like, seven issues worth of comics here to align with Secret Wars 8 coming out and showing Spider-Man get the costume. And, and and Shooter was like, all right, fine. But as soon as as soon as Secret Wars 8 is out, we gotta we gotta nix the costume. That brought us to the storyline 252 to 258, aka homecoming or whatever you want to call it. And of course 258, you know, the last issue in that and that storyline, it's the great cover, the Ron Friends cover of the two costumes, you know, tearing Peter across, you know, apart in like, you know, kind of like the downward spiral. I love that. It's one of my favorite uh, covers from that era. Spider-Man was going to ditch the black costume at the end of the run. But wait, stop me if you heard this one, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the angry, you know, that angry majority of fans that just dictate what stories should be apparently when 252 came out it was also popular i mean you know maybe it's just the people who buy spider-man anyway as i'm told is what happens i don't know i'm, I'm, I'm having fun right now guys i, I yeah, Mark, anyway. Mark, this
1: is a new trend is every episode you're gonna find a way to dig dig your heels in on this anywho
0: anywho but no 252 was like this huge release and 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 people it was like the hottest book at the time so like ron friends when we interviewed him or when you still a hot book Oh well, yes, I mean for sure, but but like you know, like it was like selling for like fifty bucks apparently. Like the the month it came out, Ron Friends apparently said he was at a comic book show in Canada the the month it came out, and they had to shut the convention floor down for fire safety because so many people wanted this book. I I look. That and was because a per- the
1: symbiote doesn't like fire. That's what that's the well, truth. Well that too. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that's very true too. But I mean, you know, look, I, I I I I do question a little bit of the of the truthiness of that Ron Friend's storyline, but he said it on the show, so it's gospel to us. But like, so that you know, from there the phenomenon began. So do you want to talk a little bit about like from the factual standpoint, what exactly was the phenomenon here, Dan?
1: Yeah, sure. First I, I, I wanna remark on what you just said, which is like very funny that like Tom DeFalco was like, I gotta string this along for seven issues. You know, which which basically says like the expectation was that the costume was there to stay for a prolonged period of time, you know, to suddenly scuttle it to seven issues and, and 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 go back. Which is funny because nowadays if a costume lasts that long it's kind of amazing i mean i guess we're in the middle of the osborne suit right now lasting you know 30 some issues right now prior to that i would say like everybody is deeply cynical about costumes that last six issues and then and then disappear whereas the most iconic one of them really was only around for a brief period of time and was scuttled to be around that and and still left a lasting imprint we could talk about the later versions of it but I said it, you know, and you're talking about the facts. I think it is a fact, and and write write in if you, if you disagree. But I, I I would I would be hard pressed for you to correct me on this. I think this is the greatest costume change in superhero comics history. I don't think there's another suit. Don't come at me with like blue Superman or whatever. You know, like I also think Ron this, Friends. Yes, 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 yes. Also Ron <laughs> Friends. Don't come with me, lemon-lime Superman people, okay? Like, the, the I, I don't think that there is a true alternate costume that is as popular. You can kind of see, like, a demarcation point here for Spider-Man, which is like, look, we all know the red and blue is classic. The black and white became, like, alt-classic. You know, th- this is this is the, like, new Coke or whatever you want moment. I guess New Coke didn't hang around. I don't know, Cherry Coke, also a classic. But now, like, there are a million variations on Coke. You can go to those machines and mix and match vanilla, orange, Coke, whatever you want. Like, I think from this point, like, alternate costumes became a staple of Spider-Man storytelling. To the point that it's kind of been watered down. And like I just said, if something lasts for a while, you know, it becomes kind of a standout but also i would say it's kind of become the basis for spider-verse like spider-verse really was created out of a like an an existence of so many alternate suits and therefore alternate spider-man and so i think this is kind of that inception point for all of these ideas that the not anybody could wear a mask there that there's Thousands of different masks. And even in Spider-Verse, we go down to the spider lair and there's all those different costumes, you know, like it, it is a it is what we want to call a canon event that Spider-Man wears different suits. Uh, curious to hear your response to all that. No,
0: that's that that's really funny, Dan, because um, very recently I was going back through like some old blog post that I made on Chasing Amazing and I I got stuck on my write-up for Superior Spider-Man 32, which I don't know if you remember. So that's what that those are. That was the first of the two issues that came out after the initial run of 31 issues of Superior Spider-Man. It was basically a prelude to Spider-Verse in 2014. And, you know, one of the things in my grouchy old man way that I was kind of, you know, complaining about in that blog post was like, you know, they were kind of like, Introducing a bunch of alternate Spider Mans as as cannon fodder for the Inheritors, but like it was basically just like here's. Here's a Spider-Man in a black costume. Here's a Spider-Man in the the stealth costume from Big Time, you know. And I was like, "How is this an alternate Spider-Man?" And like, you know, and like, and you know, people in the comments, you know, I, I very rarely got like angry internet comments on my blog posts, but this one invited it, and they were just like, you know, dummy, uh, you know, this is from an alternate timeline where he kept the costume, and I'm like, it's just it's just using a costume as like I. I understood the mechanics of it, but I I just thought it was like for me it, I, like when I think of alternate timeline Spider-Man, I'm thinking of like Spider-Man Noir or Spider-Man India or you know what I mean like someone you know from, from a legitimately different universe who has his own storyline, not just like you know basically a bunch of like never published what if stories of like well what if Spider-Man kept his fantastic His future foundation costume, three more issues later than he did in real, you know what I mean? Like, so. I am agreeing with you, but I also want to add, I find it to be lazy storytelling to present like an alternate costume. I didn't say I liked
1: it. I just said it's it's true. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm adding my opinion to it. And and, and also, and also defending uh, a a blog opinion from nine years ago because you know, I am, I am, I am who I am to my core.
1: You hear Uh, that get off Mark's lawn.
0: I mean, you know, seriously, like I, I the, the pain still hurts that you disagreed with me nine years ago, people. Did you find but,
1: my name in the credits to that to that comment section? No, no. You, 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 once once we started podcasting together,
0: you very rarely gave me a hard time about my blog posts. I mean, so you know, so so kudos to you for that. Yeah, you guys um, don't know
1: what kind of uh, t- uh, a tightrope I'm walking here.
0: There you go. There you go. You got to got to manage the angry ego of Mark. No, we're not going to talk about the stories of 252 to 258, but like, you know, I, I, I've always, I always found it interesting and I have always personally thought, and I don't know how you feel about this, Dan, like, I I always think of this storyline as almost kind of like, almost like a, a second origin for Spider-Man because it's like the way it's written. I mean, the fact that even the cover of Two Fifty Two is a, dir- a direct homage to Amazing Fantasy Fifteen, which I own now. I don't know if you heard that, Dan. <laughs> Guys, this is in. what
1: it's going to be like from now on. Just, just a constant name drop of of Amazing Fantasy Fifteen. I hope you're prepared for years of this.
0: I, <laughs> but in all seriousness, it 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 always like yes, it's 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 clearly not an origin in that like you know, the, the power, everything is established in terms of who Spider-Man and who Peter is. But like, you know, you're you're trying to find out what the deal is with this costume. Like they're laying like breadcrumbs throughout that there's something amiss with this costume that Peter's kind of going out in the middle of the night, doesn't remember it. You know, at the same time, we're kind of like reintroducing like, or not even reintroducing, we're introducing new villains, a new street level thing. Like, you know, like they're these very grounded kind of Dicko-esque stories. I think it adds to the popularity that the stories that, the suit is associated with are 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 kind of like a good entry point to Spider-Man for people, you know. Like it, it's it's like if you miss the first, you know, twenty five years of Spider-Man, this is this is a great place to jump in, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I think so for sure. You know, and and speaking of beginnings, you know, this black suit story was really used to kick off uh, a new B title, uh, Web of Spider-Man, which we're going to be talking about later in this season, and just as like a prelude to. That eventual episode and conversation If you haven't read the first few issues of Web of Spider-Man They're actually really fun stories That are really kind of core parts of the establishment of the black suit And uh, the relationship with the symbiote Not just because uh, Eddie Brock's hand appears there for the first time Um, if, If you count that I just think they're fun stories and and I think they get kind of like forgotten about. I mean, I didn't mention them in the intro to this episode. I I also discovered them later on in in my, you know, full reading of Spidey world. So I, I just wanted to point out like that spawned out of this. But also those are cool stories. Check them out.
0: You, you alluded to it in terms of the symbiote, which is what, you know, the black suit ends up being. It's an alien that that is like hosting, you know, is latching onto Spider-Man as a, or Peter as a host. Um, it's it's worth noting that, you know, Roger Stern, before leaving Amazing Spider-Man, you know, he was the one who actually pitched the idea, like, not not to, to make it a costume or even an alien costume, but to make it like alive and potentially evil. I always feel like I mean that's the wrinkle that makes it right. I mean, like if it's just a costume, okay, it looks cool, and you know, he can jump twenty five percent higher, and but like that's it's 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 the conflict that the costume itself brings that that elevates this into a a higher level of storytelling here, and then I also think it's a very Spider Man esque situation. I mean, like you know, we we could talk about him. Bringing the alien back, and you know, from is it the Beyond World or Beyonder World or whatever, or, or Battle World? I, I Battle guy, World, I, yeah. Battle World. I'm sorry, I'm confusing my my Secret Wars esque. You know, we could talk about him bringing that back, and of course, what the suit becomes in terms of venom and all that. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Is it not? Is it not just the most stereotypical Spider-Man thing that, like, you know, he ha- he gets a new suit, but like he's in conflict with the suit? Like, I I don't know. I feel like it, it, this is like Spider-Man to a T. You know, it's like it's always something. It's never it's never easy.
1: <laughs> Can we, I want to talk about the look of the suit because this is not in our outline. So, but like, I'm curious how you respond to this. You know, forget the symbiote ever existed. He just got a new costume and forget the hate mail. Like he just showed up in a new costume. Like, frankly, I think the black suit is far more spider-esque or arachnid-like or uh, how you would associate with it. Like what if you were to imagine Spider-Man, like I think the black suit is much more the platonic ideal of like what that character would look like do you think that this suit would have had like staying power given or remove the narrative wrinkles? Like it's just an attractive suit that looks cool and feels very Spider-Man like with the 2020 hindsight or whatever removed. Like I-, I think this suit could have had real staying power. I
0: think if it's introduced in the era that it's introduced without the extra frills. Yes. I think if this was like what Spider-Man looked like from the get-go, it wouldn't have worked. I think like the color and, you know, like kind of the the fantasy of it is what I think helped popularize Spider-Man and helped popularize superhero comics in the Silver Age. For the record, even without the alien, you know, evil storyline, like, I feel like this, the black suit here kind of lends itself to the darker, grittier storytelling that was starting to emanate in comics during this era. We talked about it during, of course, our our, our Death of Gene DeWolf episode. And and yes, I mean, of course, Defaco and Friends, they were not necessarily of the darker creator variety. They were more of the hoo-ha uh, style creators. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking back to, like, you know, there 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 is kind of like a dark night element to a dark suit Spider Man. You know, like he can he can kind of you know crawl around in in the middle of the night and and bust up burglars and criminals and defend the streets of New York and and be you know use his power responsibly. It doesn't mean he's a he's a bad guy, but like there there there's a more of an edge to a black suit Spider Man that I feel like. Yeah, again, going back to your original question, like even without the the, the added drama and conflict of the suit would work in this era. I don't think it would work in the Silver Age though.
1: Well, I mean, it's, it, I could see a real like good justification of the practicality of it. Like you were describing being like, if he's going on an adventure at nighttime, he wears this costume. If he's going on an adventure during the daytime, it's the red and blues, you know? I could see that as a justification were this to... To continue and obviously he would wear A black suit again and we'll talk about that A little bit later and then I guess the other Thing I would ask is you know we Consider this an an alt costume Like if if it were to switch Over like it could I guess Become the main I'm thinking About like um, we don't consider like The red and gold an alt Iron Man costume it is the Costume even though it wasn't the debut Costume same with um, Daredevil and the yellow Outfit switching to red you know Like is there Even an option 252 Issues into Spider-Man To change that Baseline you know in the way that Daredevil And Iron Man did do you have any thoughts About that
0: I mean that's an interesting concept I mean the thing is And and, and not to reveal the sausage making I'm jumping around the outline here a little bit I, I, I do feel like Once it became clear That people liked the suit they did kind of try to walk that line because like then it was like, well, he can wear a black suit without it being an alien. Right. Like 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 let's have let's have Felicia hand. Sew, I mean, you know, Felicia Hardy, notorious homemaker and homebody who could sew costumes just like Peter sewed his original costume. I mean, everyone can sew in the Marvel Universe.
1: <laughs> that, that, it's the, the secret superpower of like, what is it now? Everybody knows how to tell True North a, after the events of what House of M?
0: Yes, I mean, look I, I I had to sew once in seventh grade to pass my home economics class, and like you don't want to see what that pillow looked like, Dan, that's all I'm gonna say <laughs> uh, but 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 like, yeah, so like, they tried to push it as far as they could that this was almost a permanent change, until for storyline purposes, aka the venom of it all, they kind of undid it and, and went back to the traditional. Although, as it turns out, as as Jim Salakrup, uh, former Marvels or Spider editor, said many many times, going back to the red and blues for Todd McFarlane was kind of one of the conditions that got him to work on the book. So maybe it could have just kept going the way you described it. I mean, like that's it's 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 an interesting now, talk about a what if. I mean, right? I mean, but I feel like they, they they pushed it as close as they could uh in terms of it being a permanent status quo
1: I mean and visually it makes sense right like Felicia and her white and blacks and spider-man and his white and blacks like when they, that couple was defining the comics like it made sense to market it that way but let's let's get to the venom of it all I mean you are a, a you know a beloved fan of amazing spider-man 300 although I think you and I both agree 299 was the first appearance but you know what? Whichever way it cuts, you know, venom changed the trajectory of this whole thing. Tell us a little bit more.
0: You know, I'm not. I'm not. Revealing any scintillating news here, but I mean, like Venom. You guys have all heard of
1: Venom, right? Like, uh, yeah. Uh, I, well, you know, <laughs> did,
0: did, did, were, were, were you the one struggling with V during the I the was, Super I was, yeah. What's Who's who starts with V? And I'm sitting here being like Venom, Venom,
1: Venom, Venom. <laughs> uh, for the record, Venom was written on my my board, and, and my brain just. Blew up in that moment, but uh, yeah, that'll haunt me for the rest of the show's history. But anyway, continue, Mark.
0: Uh, yeah, so I mean, like, yes, I mean, Amazing Spider-Man number three hundred is 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 a personal favorite of mine, in large part because it was one of the first Spider-Man comics that I got. I mean, like, I just remember being so blown away by the storyline. But like, you know, take a step back here. It's it's also I would I would describe it as probably one of the biggest. Certainly one of the biggest Spider-Man comics ever, and maybe one of the biggest comics ever. Period. I mean, it's one of the most popular comics released in the last thirty years, right? I mean, like, is it is it, or thirty five years? I mean, I'm dating myself now. I mean, like, is there any question that this 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 book is like biggest non-Silver Age book in comic book history at this point in terms of its popularity, its collectibility, its everything?
1: I would agree. I would have agreed with you. Every day for the past ten years that we've known each other, and I doubly agree with you. The minute that the Venom movie made over a billion dollars, like, like, how do you argue against that?
0: So let's let's not forget that No Way Home ends with the symbiote being left behind by uh, you know Eddie Brock, and, and you know, so like, it's we're gonna do it again, and we'll talk about the, you know the adaptations in a little bit. But like, the the, the fact of the matter is, Venom is. Amazing Spider-Man number 300 which you know marked the first appearance of or the 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 first full appearance of Venom is one of the biggest comics ever and Venom Venom himself is probably the biggest Spider-Man villain or maybe even the biggest comic book villain not created by Dicko or Kirby and in terms of the Dicko Spider-Man rogues I would I would rank him probably behind Green Goblin and Doc Ock in terms of just impact popularity you know all of that stuff. Like I, I I don't even know how you can you can place anyone else above him at this point besides those two.
1: It's hard to parse out because he's kind of taken on a life as an anti-hero and that's allowed him to grow outside of the realms of Spider-Man. So like uh, like I I it will be interesting to find out how much of Venom's pop culture knowledge is associated with Spider-Man. I mean, I think people obviously know him from Spider-Man 3. But, like, I think there's generations of people that just know him as his own character absent from Spider-Man. I I would be very curious. I mean, the cartoons obviously do a lot to reinforce the link between Spider-Man and Venom. It's a really interesting uh, question to kind of, like, get at, like, has that character gotten to a trajectory that he's removed himself from the orbit of Spider-Man?
0: And of course, it's also worth noting, you know, via you know, via Venom, we begot Carnage and Toxin and all these other symbiote characters. I mean, on and on and on and on. It's like a, you know, you, you again, you can you can uh, debate the merits of whether this is good uh, creative. Process in terms of how we're creating Villains for Spider-Man but Regardless like The the black costume is kind of you know we're all Roads lead back to in terms of modern Storytelling in this regard
1: Is the test that you get your own standalone Movie because Craven the Hunter and Morbius Are like finding out that like They can't I mean I don't know how The Craven movie is going to do I can't imagine Very well but they're trying to see If they can escape the trajectory of Spider Man. Anyway, that's another topic for another day. So, like, you know, Venom came on the scene and, like, in a very memorable moment of, like, accosting MJ, and different versions will tell you different iterations of what actually transpired in that apartment. There's a Zeb Wells story about that. And I think in the original comics, like, it doesn't really appear to be much more than, like, showing up and threatening her. We even got a reference back to that in *Amazing Spider-Man* 800. You know that would change the trajectory of Peter and the black suit. Tell us about that. That whole scene made MJ. You know, MJ was like, "Peter, you got you got to ditch the
0: suit." And you know, the legend that begins anew at the end of *Amazing Spider-Man* 300. I, as I mentioned, Sala basically said that was McFarlane's like carrot to to do *Amazing Spider-Man*. So I mean, you know, it's so funny. The guy who who cr- made. You know, help make Venom a visual phenomenon. Is the same one who's like, I don't want to do the black suit anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> even though the red and blue came back and was at that point the full time suit, it was like it, it felt like whenever the black suit made another appearance in this comic, it it, it was a it, it, it was an event, right? I mean, like it, it it was just like this was a big deal that he was doing this again. Usually. Donated like a, a darker version of Peter, even though like, and we could talk about this vis a vis the adaptations. When Peter is wearing the black suit, well, certainly even the symbi even when he was wearing the symbiote, we never really got the impression in those initial stories that it was like affecting his mood or his his behavior or his demeanor in a way. I mean, like he was going out and not remembering it, but like he wasn't like you know accidentally killing people or anything like that, you know. And 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 that's something that has. Become a part of the the mythos, but like even even from a thematic standpoint, like you know, I think of things like Back in Black or uh, Amazing Spider Man number eight hundred, or or you know, when it, like it feels like uh, Superior Venom uh, during the Superior Spider Man arc, like it felt like whenever Peter threw on the black costume again, it was like he means business, and you know, he's he might be testing his moral code and 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 testing the limits of you know what he's willing to do. I mean, like it, it, it's. It was always around like a major storyline where, you know, regular old friendly neighborhood Spider-Man wasn't going to be good enough. What are, what are your thoughts about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, my thoughts are basically that it you're seeing how the adaptations are seeping back into the comic, you know, like because that was never a part. The suit never influenced Peter's mood. Or anything like that, other than it being truly a just a, a symbiotic relationship. It did not want to let Peter go, and it only became bad when it was like a spurned lover, so to speak. So that's really an invention of the adaptations, and I think a really cool one. Fine, like you know, i, I I'm 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 okay with that. I do think that it you know it kind of undermines the power of. The returns of the black suit I mean very rarely has the black suit come back And I think really earned coming back Given given what it means It just seems like you're right It's like a color swap to make him darker And I like it in back in black I think it's really cool to see Peter like On the run and wearing something black Maybe to avoid attention And to like become more Batman like Where it's like I'm wearing this suit as an intimidation tool, you know, cause that's the whole idea of that arc is he is wearing it to intimidate Kingpin and make a threat. And in that instance, I think it makes the most sense. It's not suggesting, I mean, his, his attitude is changed because Aunt May just got shot, but like, I, I think it has a practical purpose. Whereas some of the other stuff, I mean, I, I guess it's practical in the red goblin arc, right? He, he needs it to power up and fight carnage. And stuff like that. But they, they don't quite have that same kind of um, edge that we now associate with the, the thing. So it's like it kind of makes the comic version a little bit weaker uh, as a result. It's kind of in need of like a new Venom story to spice up that relationship again. But we can talk about that later. Speaking of adaptations, you know, I, I and, and push back on me on this if, if you feel otherwise. I think this story is probably the most adapted storyline of all Spider-Man comics. I would say even including the origin, because a lot of the times they just skip over the origin and, and don't tell it. But they always get around to telling the Venom story like it would actually be funny in like a new Spider-Man movie. if He just showed up wearing the black suit and he was like, you all know where I got this in the way that they handled the Uncle Ben thing. You know, I mean, it's kind of funny. You can't do that, which is to say, like, I think that they really couldn't skip the Uncle Ben thing. And I think they realized that by the time they got to No Way Home. Am I exaggerating how much the story has been a- adapted?
0: No. And, and, and to your point, I was going to say like, yeah, like they, they can they can they can hand wave the origin. But I that's the thing. I don't think they want to hand wave. I feel like we're in an era now. And I mean, and by era, I'm saying this goes back now 25, 30 years, at least at this point, probably starting with like the Spider-Man animated series with John Semper that, you you know, you alluded to where like I feel like creators, you know, they they're almost like it's like, how do I do the black suit? saga is kind of like their litmus test for like how they're going to tell stories. I mean, like it's, it's, it's like, you know, you got a new version of Spider-Man, whether it's animated series, whether it's a new comic series, like ultimate Spider-Man when, you know, Bendis and, and Bagley were doing it, you know, they of course did their venom storyline, Obviously, Spider-Man 3, Sam Raimi, we're going to see it again in the Tom Holland movies, it would appear. This is a benchmark for creators now. It's like, how, how do you do the the black suit? How are you going to show, you know, whether it's Venom or not Venom, however you want to do it, how are you going to show the this transition and what it means and its impact? Uh, it, yeah, I, and I think in terms of the origin, it's like, it's probably played out. For most people. And I think it has something to frankly to do with the age of the people creating the content at this point. I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is, especially now, most of the people creating the content are our age, Dan. So like they grew like this was the the end all be all when it came out. Um, I mean, you know, in terms of like John Semper, obviously he's not our age, but like it was a pretty unique new wrinkle to the Spider-Man mythos that he was able to to do something with. So yeah, like like I said I think this is something that like creators want to cut their teeth on and tell that story if it's not as essential as the origin, it's it's the second most essential storyline I think at this point. Like I you know, like I think it's even bigger than the Green Goblin storyline in terms of like a spider-man you know a spider-man villain learning his identity and using that against him to kill his love i mean we we kind of got that with the mark webb movies i think that's maybe the like maybe that's third in terms of adapted stories at this point but like i feel like venom and the symbiote have surpassed that which is just mind-boggling to think about considering again we're talking 1985-86 is where this all started
1: I mean I think like credit Like you said is due to the people of Spider-Man the animated series because I I really think that that is Where this true Like outside of the realm Of comics uh, media Pop culture obsession With Venom really found its way Into the minds of Children you know it's the character I, I think it's also due to the Design of the character and the suit being So toyetic you know to have Like the evil alternate Spider-Man and it's not the first Time by a Landslide that you would get The evil alternate hero You know you flash reverse flash uh, Superman bizarro You know like there's there's A million of these like it is A storytelling trope as Old as time and yet There is something you know especially In Marvel with the like Evil alternate version of the Hero really being birthed With this a black suit, you know, like I think even like the reintroduction of the Miss Marvel comic a few years ago, the first arc was her getting like an evil symbiotic like costume. I just think, you know, not to mention that everything has been venomized at this point. <laughs> Remember when that was a rare thing? Who are the few people that have worn a symbiote now? Whatever, everybody. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I think carnage. Ben just it's checked like, or, that or, box when he. Venom bombed Manhattan. I think I, you know, I think it, like the animated series elevated it, and then I think from there, Spider-Man three incorporated it, and it was just off to the races. Venom was a, you know, a, a, a cornerstone of of this of this character in the series, and like every animated show had to have it. Like, how many toys do you sell of the bad Spider-Man? You know, there you go. We're off to the races. Mark, we're going to talk about some of those adaptations and our thoughts on the black costume and what it means to us personally in a minute. But why don't you tell our listeners about where they can share their thoughts on the black costume?
0: Well, Dan, I think you must be talking about our Slack because hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics and more. Uh, Dan, what, what's been happening in the Slack this week, which, you know, frankly, given by the time this, this episode sees the light of the day in our main feed, might be a few weeks from now, but whatever. What's happening in the Slack? What's what's something that you can talk about in the Slack right now?
1: Well, Mark, I'm so glad you naturally brought up the Slack because I was actually just talking about shouting into the voice of space but uh, yes there is a lot of good things you've going on like and you can share your thoughts on the black suit there and actually this week there's been a lot of talk about the excitement over the new marvel spider-man 2 video game which by the time you hear this might already be out and you can play as peter wearing the black suit i mean imagine that what a great tie-in To this episode it's like we planned it Except we didn't because literally If we release this episode any day of the week There would likely be a black suit tie in That's how ubiquitous this thing is But um, you know it it will Be cool to see that story Be translated in like Such minute detail You know in in a video game um, With this level of production quality You know it's not the first black suit In the video game by far but like you know, we're talking about maximum carnage and all of that stuff. I'm really excited to see how it translates there, uh, with like the great writers and uh, working on that game. So I know our Slack is buzzing about it, and uh, maybe you guys can all come join in, talk about it in the Slack too, share your experiences with the game. There's a link in the description of this episode that will let you jump into the Slack. It's like our little forum of fun with positive voices and and great friendships. And you can get in there in less than a minute and let us know when you sign up so we can all say hi.
0: Hey, this is our show. So let's let's talk about our feelings. And by feelings, I mean feelings about the black suit. Personally, what it means to us. I'll go first since I'm the older of the two here. And, you know, like I said, like Amazing Spider-Man number 300, like it's, it's the third comic I bought as a kid. You know, I I I bought two ninety six and two ninety seven. I skipped those two early Macfarlane ones. I wish I didn't because I wouldn't have to go back and buy them. <laughs> Three hundred was the third book I ever bought. It's sometimes hard for me to separate my personal feelings from the actual phenomenon that we discussed about because it it, it is kind of weird to feel to, to talk about something that. I really felt like I experienced in real time in terms of like its impact. And yet, like I kind of have to pull back and think about it in a, in a broader context in terms of like how it's been used and and everything, but you know, whatever I, 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 I don't have a psychology degree, so I'm going to do the best I can here. Venom has certainly gotten a lot of latitude to do his own thing as an antihero. And we're obviously going to talk about that a lot, probably next season on this show in terms of what it, what it means. But like, it still felt felt like a really big deal for many years of my you know formative like comic book fandom when venom showed up you know we could talk about you know earlier we were like well let's remove the venom of it all and the emotions and all that kind of stuff like let's just look at it as a costume and as a design and it's like yeah it's just a black costume but like Rick Leonardi and Mike Zach, or Mike Zach and Rick Leonardi, depending on who's who's taking credit at the time, they just nailed it. Like this is like it's it's a it's a beautifully simple design. You know, the large spider on the chest is just freaking phenomenal. Like it's just a great spin on it. I mean, I, like you alluded to earlier, it, it, it's it just makes too much sense for Spider-Man to have a costume like this. It's it's more spider like. The the origins of it tie into power and guilt and responsibility and all of the core Spider-Man characteristics, you know, from a collector standpoint, all of those big early appearances of either the black suit or Venom, like, you know, they are some of the most prized in my collection I could bring up Amazing Fantasy 15 again here, Dan, but I won't Uh, as he laughs. I I believe you
1: did just now. Yes.
0: Oh, okay. My bad. My bad. The point is, like, to me, the black suit has earned every bit of being the phenomenon that it is. I buy into the hype of it. We alluded to some of the storylines earlier where it's kind of come back like Back in Black. I actually don't really like Back in Black, but like, I remember when that storyline came out in, what was it, 2007 or whatever it was, 2006, 2007, like, like that book, I was getting the book home shipped to me at that point. Um, That was when I was a home subscriber, when they would not ship me annuals. Just want to mention that because they didn't count as part of the main series. I just remember thinking to myself, like, like, holy crap, he's putting on the black suit. To kick the kingpin's ass. And I was like, I was there. Like, like I was back to being a seven-year-old. Like, this was, this was the, the greatest thing for me. I'm in my, my mid-twenties at this point. And I'm like, no, hell yeah, I love this. Black costume is life, man. Like, I love it. I love it. Anytime it comes back, I'm a fan. It is far and away the most impactful status quo change in Spider-Man history for me. I don't even know if there's a close second.
1: Pull the trigger, Mark. If you could swap... The black suit in for the uh, Red and blue suit Like whatever the Story is that makes that the case And it would be the permanent suit going Forward would you kill The red and blue suit I think I might I'm gonna Say yeah I'm
0: gonna say yeah that's my That's my hot take for this episode Alright yeah.
1: that's Let's a hot it.
0: take Let's kill it it's gone No more black suit
1: You're- Forever you are welcome to ask me that question when I'm done with my reflections. That is uh that is a definitive take. <laughs> what about you,
0: Dan? What's what's your what's your overall impressions of the Black Suit? What does it mean to you?
1: I mean, it means a lot to me. You know, I I really think, you know, I can't credit the comics for this. Like I I think my introduction to the Black Suit was the animated series. It's really hard to pinpoint that exact moment where it came into my mind because I wasn't reading the comics when it was introduced and like you and, and I wasn't reading the comics when it was undone, uh, you know, a la Venom. Like I, I, I came after the story was already complete, you know? And so I think the animated series is where it was first shown to me and it was really cool. I mean, it lasted very short. I think it's like a two episode, uh, event where it goes from him wearing it to it being on Eddie Brock, uh, just about as quick as ASM 300 introduced Eddie Brock. But like Venom was an, uh, an icon to me. And so as such, the black suit was iconic. I don't think it really took on quite the place in my mind from that show. It was more just a ancillary element to Venom until I started like collecting the cards and, And then picking up Amazing Spider-Man 375, which was my first Spider-Man comic. And, of course, that's a very Venom-dominant issue. And at the end, it was the end of the Spider-Man-Venom feud, right? Venom shape-shifted and wore his new, like, uh, leather-bound-looking suit (laughs) that lasted for a panel. And then he was off. In digging into Venom more, you know, that series and... That comic is what really drove me to want to know more about the suit, which led me to the DeFalco Friends run. And so, like, I have the show and those comics to thank for my love of the DeFalco Friends run. But, like, the minute I was introduced to that, it kind of became the suit for me as a kid. You know, it was just cool. And maybe it was the adult-looking nature of it, the darker nature of it that drew me to it as a kid. Because as kids, you're kind of... Drawn to things you're not supposed to touch You know and, and it felt dangerous In that way And also kind of like this special Little thing you know that existed Not as a permanent state For Spider-Man but like Remember that one time that like This crazy thing happened You know um, and, and I think Having that knowledge In my brain felt special I, I don't know if it was like to lord over other people But like my knowledge But like it felt like being part of a, like a club, I guess, of people that knew this full story behind this cool character of, of, of Venom. And I think that's kind of what fueled my early collecting uh, habits was like, I got to know more about this. And I'll say there's so much I love about that version of Venom that I don't think really exists anymore. The kind of like flat nature to Venom's design. He's almost like paper doll-ish. Where he kind of flops around and slithers like a snake, and you know, I think Spider-Man three, the movie, and maybe even like Mark Bagley's Venom, you know, with all the tendrils and stuff, kind of erased that conception of the suit. Of the suit, where it was really like kind of like a suit, you know, like it it existed almost like a fabric. And I, I think that stuff is cool. I love all the little details to it, like the web shooters on the back of the hands. It's such a neat. Concept like it makes it more Aggressive in a way and what's like you're Punching your webs and, and And I like that element Even though it doesn't make any sense for web Slinging you shoot it and then You have to like rotate your wrist back Around to grab. <laughs> onto the I, I never understood how that was helpful In, in any way but Yeah I, I, I love the black suit I think it's just so du- you said it it's cool I mean it's just cool there's no Getting around how cool it is You know, frankly, I've always longed for a more prolonged return, you know, uh, uh, of the suit, especially now that the mythos has been built out a bit. Like, I think there is so much ripe material of like Peter as Venom or wearing the black suit and with all the emotionally charged, you know, stuff that that means, you know, like especially with Mary Jane's reaction to it. I don't know what the scenario would be where Spider-Man would be like. I don't care what you think. I'm gonna wear this outfit that traumatized you in, in some way. But you know, like, and, and honestly, I think I've talked about it before. If I were to pitch a Spider-Man comic to Marvel, it would be something along the lines of like, what would it mean for Peter to put the costume back on? And uh, you know, in in some way. Although I'll admit, the symbiote Spider-Man comics by Peter David do almost nothing for me. Like they're, they kind of exist out, outside of nostalgia, which is, which is to say, like, I think most of the returns to this story have diminishing returns they, because I don't feel like the material has ever felt really substantial enough or, or uh, has dealt with it, like in such a big way. It's often feels like a marketing push rather than like an emotionally charged character oriented push. Other than like maybe back back in black. I feel like if you're gonna return Peter to the costume, it needs to be accompanied by a story of serious weight or like time to deconstruct what it means. But I've also loved all of the adaptations over the years. I love what was done with the Venom suit in Ultimate Spider Man, where it like tied into Peter's childhood, his father and Eddie Brock and his family, even if that story doesn't really come together by the end. I just think it's so ripe for cool potential and I think it's one of the most interesting modern story elements added to Spider-Man and it's just a costume. And it would be cool if it was just a costume too. All right. You're going to put the gun to my head, Mark. I mean, I was going to say like,
0: you know, your money or your wife, (laughs) money being the black costume for, I don't know, black costume. You said you, you would like a longer term. How about permanent? Like you can just wipe out, Red and blue forever. In exchange, I'll give you amazing fantasy fifteen. No, I. I what, what do you got? What do you got? <laughs> well, that
1: that changes the deal. No, I would not. I would not kill red and blue. As much as I would love to see a prolonged return of the blacks, if it was accompanied by a really interesting story, I do think that I like even just visually. I like the flexibility that the red and blue allows artists to experiment with. Whereas I feel like the black. As cool as it is, it has a definitive Look, and yeah, like Humberto Ramos changed it up in issue 800 In a neat way, and put His stamp on it, and yeah, people have put their Stamps on it, but the flexibility Of like how you shape the eyes, and The webbing, and Stuff for the red and blue, I think is Unmatched, unsurpassable, like It's just like a really visually exciting Comic For artists to adapt, I, I don't Think I could give up seeing a new artist take a spin on the red and blues for the coolness of the black. Do you want to sprint to the finish here? Yeah, let's do it, Mark.
0: All right. Well, that means it's time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk.
1: Yeah, of course. If you enjoyed this podcast and this conversation, know that this podcast exists because of our listener support on Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including new Amazing Spider-Man reviews the same week they release. Plus, these seasonal episodes go up early on our Patreon as well exclusive artwork and a ton of other bonuses so a thank you to everyone who already supports us and the work that mark and i do over 400 episodes to put this show together and so a special thanks goes out to our newest contributors this week nas aaron shields and chulo
0: awesome thanks to all three of you To download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like J.M. DeMatteis, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, David Michelini, and more, all of whom I believe have worked on Black Suit Spidey, right? I I can't think of any of them we're missing there. Uh, Subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts.
1: Yeah, this podcast episode was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galecki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and spider Madge, and our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Mark, until we're found having ditched our clothes for paper bags on our heads running naked through Central Park, what's our motto? Yeah, it sounds like my, my
0: Sunday evening, Dan. Uh, well, our, our motto, of course, is with great podcasts, there must also come... The Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't
1: miss the next in-